Hi, I'm Kristen Shorten, and this is my extended chat with Jody Tiesh during the filming of Voodoo Medics. My name's Jody Tiesh. Um, I'm an ex-special operations killer or medic. Uh, my last unit was 2 Commando Regiment in Sydney, and I was a uh, medic for Alpha Company. Dad, who was in the Navy for roughly 13, 14 years as a chef, um, later on in life, uh, my older brother became a chef in the Air Force, and also my sister was a chef in the Army. Signed up to become about, yeah, I'm a bit of a black sheep in the family. Um, and the reason for that, I, initially I was going for officer's entry, um, went through all the aptitude testing, um, psychometric testing, and then it came to the medical, um, I actually found out that I was a, a certain perception of colour blindness, so, um, which is quite common for a lot of male medics in the, in the military, um, across the Defence Force. So yeah, that was a bit of a, uh, bit of an eye-opener there, excuse the pun, but uh, yeah, it definitely took me by surprise. Speaking to mum, she's like, oh, of course you are, yep, it's, tra- it's transferred through the mum, or through the mother, through genes. Um, and so yeah, that's sort of, I had the letter come in the mail saying, yep, um, can't go for the position you applied for. However, this is the list of um, occupations you can do in the army. And gazing through it for about a good week, I sort of picked out a couple of uh, options there. And the only thing that really appealed to me was uh, becoming a medic. So I guess as a kilo within special operations, um, I think you're expected to have a a high level of fitness um, and obviously know your job and be uh, expected to step up when you're needed. Um, I think you can't just be dragging your dragging your feet in time of need so it's um it's definitely like a huge emphasis on one can you gel with the boys are you going to fit in with with the uh, platoon or the company and two can you keep up and three can you perform your job in time of need traditionally from other units i've served with um yeah it's more like a do we have to take the medic type of mentality you know and you you don't really get to know the, the the platoons or the companies um as well as you'd hope, but being with um, our company, you're fully integrated with them. You're doing all the range shoots, all the lead up training with them, and uh, obviously building that rapport with the guys as well, um, and doing scenario-based sort of um, training as well, which is great. I think you're always expecting uh, the worst case scenario, I guess. Um, I was lucky enough to have Jez Holder, who was the medic on rotation six prior to mine. Um, actually had a sat, sit down um, chat with him in his apartment in, in Sydney. And you run through everything from kit, what boots you use, what med kit, uh, what do you use a lot of, what type of injuries to expect, and sort of day-to-day duties on operations outside the wire. So I think that sort of prepared me. Um, it wasn't, you know, like operations in team or anymore. It was, um, it was the real deal. So I think you're always conscious of uh, the high threat environment, um, 360-degree sort of range. Anything can go, go pear-shaped. You know, you can have rockets come in, small arms fire, IEDs, um, you name it. Um, I think to a certain point, um, especially my company, you almost have a like bit of complacency there because you have come away from some pretty hairy situations, unscathed, uninjured. And uh, yeah, I think you definitely feel a little bit invincible at times and uh, very lucky. I think uh, the unit I serve with, 2 Commando Regiment, uh, yeah, it's definitely you are like a bit of a footy team. It is a bit of a family sort of makeup. So above and beyond, as a kilo, one, you want to know that you can do your job and you try to save every life. So Voodoo Medicine for me is, uh, yeah, it's sort of like that ditch medicine sort of uh, mentality. You are very rural, very uh, remote, and basically what you've got on your back or on your person 
is what you've got at the time. You don't have the luxury of you know, definitive care. You don't have all the bells and whistles, medical equipment, things like you are it, and you are there to stabilise a casualty, push comes to shove. So I think tying into that, it's uh, voodoo medicine, yeah, dominating the dark arts. It is, uh, it's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek sort of uh, expression. Um, you know, I think as a, as a killer or any first responder, rather, you need to have a bit of a sense of maybe dark humour. And, and I think that is very much a, a coping me- mechanism for all first responders, whether you're a, a paramedic, a fiery uh, doctor, nurse, you name it. So you need to have that sort of dark sense of humour uh, to sort of survive and given in traumatic sort of incidences or very high tense sort of situations, you definitely need to sort of brush it off, so to speak. We do the voodoo so you can keep doing what you do. I was on a rotation four with Alpha Company from Two Commando Regiment and also rotation seven. So both deployments um, with Two Commando in the fighting season, so the summertime, so stinking hot temperatures, you know, it was like someone having a hairdryer to your face. Um, and most of the operations we sort of tailored towards night ops um, and try and sleep during the day under vehicles. Take any, uh, any, <laughs> any sleep you can underneath the vehicle. Didn't really work, but uh, you had your swag there, so push comes to shove, you get a couple of hours in when needed. So normally insertions uh, with the Chinooks anyway, we'd, uh, the ramp come down and uh, we'd sort of go into an all-round defence uh, whilst all the uh, members are off the, the helo. And then from there, yeah, we'd um, sort of come together, make sure comms were all working and then make our way into, uh, into the designated target. As a medic anyway, I, I used to I love those moments, you know, that was why you joined up to be a medic. You felt part of the team and this is it, you're in a war zone and this is the, the Gucci sort of things that you do. Loved it. First contact, uh, yeah, it was very exciting for myself. Um, I didn't think the day would come, but after a, a good month or so, you know, the boys are getting a little bit itchy, everyone's getting a bit emotional. And I think from there, the, strangely enough, the morale lifted and uh, that sort of set the pace for the rest, rest of the operation. You know, we were getting into some pretty big uh, contacts, long contacts, and uh, whether they be in the green belt or up in the mountainside doing basic patrols. And I think firing the weapon definitely up on top of the, the turret or your, uh, your primary, it was awesome. Like for me, it was like, yeah, you're in the thick of it. You're not just back in the rear um, looking at rocks. It's you're in the thick of it, as I said. As a kilo as well, even when you're back inside the Y, inside the base, you have the opportunity to go down and rent, uh, give assistance to the forward surgical team. So working with the Americans or the Dutch in their role three uh, sort of setup. Um, so you're getting the best of both worlds. You're not just a ground medic. You're working in definitive care sort of set up. Chad Elliott, um, who was the first casualty I've treated on operations overseas on rotation four. Um, I remember earlier in the trip sort of exchanging what bands we were into and he actually gave me a disc of uh, Alexis on fire. And uh, I remember just sitting out in the dash in the middle of nowhere, you know, after a big gig, big uh, DA hit or something like that. And just be looking up, looking at all the jet lights in the sky and thinking, what am I doing? I should be that guy. You know, being a pilot instead of sitting in the dirt with the rocks and the swag and you know, the high heat. But uh, yeah, that definitely, that type of music definitely chilled me out in a weird kind of way. Even though it's a bit heavier, it definitely takes me back. Every time I put it on now, yeah, it takes me back to that era. If we were doing day operations, I mean, Afghanistan, some places, yeah, it's definitely the, the armpit of the world, so to speak. A little bit smelly, a little bit hot and uh, yeah, a little bit hairy. But uh, definitely, I think it's um, when you're sitting after a patrol in the green belt and you're looking up at these 
up at the mountainside, you know, it, it is a beautiful country in certain areas. Um, I think after, you know, six, seven months deployment, it definitely takes its toll on it, uh, both on your body, the amount of weight that you're carrying on your back, uh, the amount of bombs and ammunitions, carrying a weapon everywhere you go. Yeah, it definitely takes its toll. As a medic, um, I think, yeah, when you are out in the dash or you have that time to sort of chill out and recuperate, yeah, you've really got to look after your body. So stretching, keeping hydration up. Um, and funny, like you are expected to check on all your guys in the platoon or your company, make sure everyone's fighting fit. That's basically your bread and butter as a medic. You are to preserve the, the fighting force or the fighting element. Um, so, yeah, you might be knacking yourself after a big gig, but in a platoon sort of setup, you are expected to go around and check on your boys prior to you getting your head down and resting yourself. So, And I love that, you know. I was quite passionate about, you know, looking after the boys. Our platoon decided to do a dismounted patrol up to this ridge um, to, I guess, to do a bit of a recon, so to speak. Um, on that dismounted patrol, uh, one of the operators from the team uh, was clipped by a 7.62 round from an AK-47, um, hit the inside of his thigh uh, and hit the bulky aspect of his, uh, his femur, so the noth or neck of femur, and uh, had a nice little exit wound out of his uh, right buttock. Um, so, yeah, in that instance, I was called forward in the, uh, the quick uh, response vehicle, the Bushmaster. And I remember I was up on top of the Coppola. I think we were all just facing out uh, while this patrol was going on. Heard it over the comms. I heard we had a patrol, uh, sorry, a, a prior one casualty. And my ears sort of stuck up. And I was like, anyone else here? I was looking around the, the perimeter. And then, uh, yeah, it come through, confirmed, yeah, we've got a prior one casualty. So got my kit, raced out of that vehicle and jumped, uh, uh, put a stretcher into the back side of the, uh, the Bushmaster and we we're off. So um, I just remember going through all these different scenarios and situations in my head, how I was going to uh, tackle this casualty. Um, and I remember the, uh, the, the land was quite undulating and there was boxes and stuff, debris in the back of this vehicle going everywhere. But all I could focus on was that back door when it was going to stop and the back door opened. Yeah, and I remember pulling up and the driver saying, yeah, we're here, back door opened. To the operators for giving me the, the update on the casualty, what had happened. And as soon as I peeled around the side of the vehicle, uh, I think we had some small arms fire from the vehicles. The guys were suppressing the hillside, a couple of rockets, and um, it was all go. I remember, wow, this is like, this is such a movie scene in itself, you know. Um, so making away towards Chad, and he was still very much exposed out in the open, and a couple of other operators helped assist, and we moved him down towards the protection of the vehicle out of harm's way. And from there, I think we, we had a, uh, a shut off antenna off one of our own vehicles. And we used that as a, uh, a splint between the legs. Um, so Chad's injuries, you know, he had a small entry wound through the inner thigh and a nice little uh, exit wound out the side of his, his backside. Um, and so we, we continued doing a full pat down, checking for any other injuries. Um, and uh, yeah, as I said, like a bit of dark humour sort of kicked in, you know, like uh, he was in a condition where he was, he was tolerating pain. Uh, he already had a morphine auto injector into his arm. And um, yeah, we could talk to him. He's cohesive and alert. So uh, a good old Aussie way. We sort of yeah, delivered a bit of uh, dark humour at that time. We won't go into specifics, but um, yeah, uh, once we stabilised the, the patient, we extracted back to a safe zone and waited for an AME chopper and the, uh, the PJs to come out and retrieve. Chad was very lucky with the, um, you know, given that we had no exact numbers on how many Taliban fighters are up on the mountainside. 
And given that he was in a different position, he could have copped a whole spray right up and down his body. Um, so to cop one round out of a huge burst of an AK-47, um, very lucky. Um, I think given his injuries as well and how close it was to the femoral artery uh, and to other vital organs, I think he came away um, pretty lucky. Yeah, so Sig, uh, Sean McCarthy, um, I remember the, the exact moment that uh, a fellow teammate came into the room um, back in base where we were sort of racked out trying to get the sleep when we could. And uh, I remember one of the guys that got up, I think he went to the uh, to the dining room and, and overheard that it was new information was coming in that the the SSR um, troopers had been involved with a, a tick or some sort of um, incident. And he said, yeah, one of the, uh, the Perth guys had broken both his legs. So uh, I was like, oh, okay, well, he's going to be coming back here. So I jumped up and uh, made my way out. And I remember trying to find the other platoon medic to see if you want to go down to the forward surgical team as he was coming back on the chopper. Uh, but I just remember just getting that initial first thing in the morning. I just you know, get that, that feeling of you know, butterflies in your stomach and just that feeling of, you know, nausea just hearing that it's one of your own boys being injured jumped up um and uh yeah made our way down and i remember talking to smiley billings and um yeah we, we were trying to get all the information we could but obviously it was all quite tight-lipped and it was still unraveling you know, the actual incident itself uh we knew that john walter was the um the medic on the ground at the time a part of that platoon and uh i knew that you know the patient given that it was, if it was minor injuries, he'd be in good hands. And John's a highly experienced and knowledgeable killer. Um, so that was reassuring. Uh, throughout the morning, we got more information that it was actually yeah, an IED blast uh, hit the uh, underside of the, the hull of the vehicle on the LRPVs, which are the patrol vehicles. Um, quite limited in terms of how much um, armour they have uh, from blasts. Um, but uh, we'd seen a couple of uh, vehicles come in that had been absolutely ripped apart from IEDs. So I think uh, Sig McCarthy was on either on the turret on the back of the vehicle when it detonated, the IED detonated, and uh, he suffered pretty traumatic injuries as a result. Um, I remember uh, Smiley Billings and I uh, waiting for uh, further information, made our way down to the other um, compound where the Dutch Roll 3 uh, definitive care sort of resource um, capability was and um, as Sean arrived into the compound from the helos on a vehicle um, yeah we were asked by our, our doctors from SOTG to sort of identify the body so we'd learned that Sean had passed uh, due to injuries um, so KIA and uh, yeah, he arrived with uh, you know, bilateral tourniquets and he suffered pretty severe shrapnel wounds, uh, peppered up and down his body. Um, I remember having to go in with the mortician just to identify Sean and uh, checking wounds and uh, yeah, basically just identifying his body. So um, yeah, I think he died instantly, so yeah, he wouldn't have suffered. I think uh, John Walter, everything he did for that patient or that casualty for Sean on the day yeah, he definitely would have kept him alive to a certain point, but there's only so far that the body can compensate before it starts decompensating. And uh, John didn't express what happened in great detail on the day. Uh, and we, to this day, I don't think we've had a, a good debrief from his point of view on everything that happened on the ground that day. Um, so, yeah. But I think, you know, 
as we do, as all medics and soldiers, we give other kilos a, a pat on the back. And for him to be recognised, you know, once but twice is amazing. Uh, I think definitely it shows worth and value of a medic, both, you know, not just in the special operations units, but in the wider community, the wider army. And I think getting that sort of recognition out into the general public and the defence force is, is great. I think um, uh, those operations definitely, it's a, it's a steep learning curve. Um, you mature a fair bit mentally, um, and I think uh, you don't take things for granted. I mean, you, you look around what we've got back here in Australia, and you know, it's a privilege to do what you do, you know, to travel to you know, the friends, family, and that's why you know, we're over there sort of protecting what we have back here. Uh, it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely worth every every cent for what we've done overseas and to come back and enjoy it has been amazing i look at my time in the military uh, based on those operations as a huge blessing it's given me uh, new opportunities um, new knowledge skill set uh, met so many people i could travel around australia and bump into anyone in a different city you know um, really close mates News doesn't have to be boring. The Brits have given Prince Harry a new nickname after yet another tell-all interview. Oh, God, is it the ginger winger? <laughs> Let the team at news.com.au get you up to speed each day with their podcast from the newsroom. A couple were busted joining the Mile High Club. Well, I guess they can't fly virgin anymore. Politics, sport, red carpets, royals. Get all the goss in just a few minutes. Follow from the newsroom wherever you get your podcast from.